The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website at www.upc.org forward slash university. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 47th and 16th in Seattle's U District. What does it mean for you to be at home, for you to come home? What does it mean for you to belong? I believe that these are questions that we all ask and that people for all time have always asked these questions. And I also believe that it's a question that is answered by Jesus. And the answer is that you do, in fact, belong. You have a home. And that home is with Jesus. Well, uh, welcome again, everybody, to the inn. My name is Ryan Church. I'm the Senior Director of University Ministries, which is just a big, fancy way to say I'm one of the nine people on staff here that is totally stoked to get to know your names and to get to hang out and meet with you, wrestle with the big questions of life that matter and some of the questions of life that don't matter, of course. Uh, you had a chance to meet the interns earlier uh, through their video, and then the four of them were up here doing announcements. And I got to tell you, I, I don't know if you caught this, but there was a moment in the, vid- in the, the first video tonight where, where Kevin Petermeyer took this putter, and it looked as if he was taking out my legs, and it was just an awesome bit of acting. Okay, Actually, he really hit me with that putter. <laughs> and it hurt. Okay, now I can promise you the interns will not take out your knees with a putter. Uh, but we do want to get to know you and, and hear your stories. And to do that, this is a great opportunity uh, that next week we're going to start this thing that I hope becomes a tradition. Right behind these walls, we're going to do this thing called Taco Tuesdays. Okay, Many of you came tonight at, at 9 o'clock next week. Come bring a friend and we're going to start the Taco Tuesday legend right next door. Uh, and it'll just be a chance for you to hopefully connect with some of the people in this room, uh, a chance for some of our interns and staff to connect with you as well, and, and to just enjoy this place that I hope that you uh, experience belonging in every way uh, possible. So come back and have some tacos next week at 8.15, uh, right behind those walls here. Well, it is this question of belonging that I do want to address here at the beginning of our year together. What is it that you belong to? What is it that you are a member of? What do you want to belong to? Let me tell you some of the things in, in my life that, that I belong to. Start with some of the things uh, that, that are kind of lapsed, okay? I kind of belong to Facebook, okay? You know, when you belong to something, there's usually something that's required. A login is required, of course, for Facebook. I have a Facebook login. I post some content, and hey, let's be friends. Ryan Church, let's, let's do this. And then I'm also on Twitter, um, at the Ryan Church. Sweet profile pic there. I like to tweet occasionally, but I can, I've also been known to go through long, long droughts. So I have, I have my handle there on Twitter. So I, I feel like I kind of belong in the, in the universe of tweets. Okay, I also belong to this thing called the USGA, the United States Golf Association. Here's how this one works. Okay, I send them money. They send me a card and many offers to spend more money. Okay, I send them my scores when I go out and play golf, and then they send me a number back to me that says how bad I am at golf. It's really quite demoralizing. I don't know why I do it. It's a bad deal. But I belong to the USGA. 
I, like many of you in this room, was a student at the University of Washington uh, back there in the mid-90s. And when I was a student, I joined a fraternity here. And it is, if I was going to belong in that place, it was made quite clear to me uh, from the get-go that initiation in that place was earned and not given. So belonging required something there. Throughout my life, I have been in, I don't know why, but I have been a part of, of many fan clubs. And honestly, when I reflect on fan clubs, it almost makes me angry. Okay, and, and here's, here's again the way that this works, especially when I was a small kid. Okay, there's be this fan club that you want to join because of all the promises of this insider information and the, and the special opportunities that you might have. So, you know, you'd, you'd have to pay money to join, of course. So you'd go out to your street corner and sell some lemonade or save up your allowance. And then you, you'd fill in your form, send in your check. And in this case, I joined the Seattle Mariners Junior Fan Club. Okay, and I was I was pretty stoked about that. I'm a big sports fan, and you know when you're when you're a kid, like getting mail is just the coolest thing in the world. So I I mean I every day I would be like, oh, this is going to be the day that there's going to be something new from the from the Mariners Junior Fan Club, and I I'd, I'd bounce home from school, I'd check the mailbox, and sure enough, once a month would be like this three color photocopied, frankly pathetic piece of publication. So, so being a part of the Mariners fan club was this sense of, wow, this sucks. Okay. The stuff that was in, that was, that was in the Mariner fan club newsletter is stuff that, that these days is just online. There was nothing special about it. All this promise of insider stuff. And it was just, you know, something on a photocopied sheet. It was Honestly, professional organizations stealing from small children like myself. (laughs) Well, then came the end of my elementary years, and the urge uh, on this next one was just too compelling. So I filled out my form and sent in my money to join CPFA, which is Close Personal Friends of Al, as in Weird Al Yankovic. Okay, now this was not the same racket that the Mariner fan club was. I got, I got like lyric sheets for Weird Al songs, which, you know, when you're, when you were in fourth or fifth grade, that seemed pretty cool. You know, you'd get, uh, you know, uh, information about an upcoming concert. And of course, you'd get autographed pictures. So I was in CPFA. Okay, you guys were all wondering when I got up here, hey, you know, is this guy, is this guy cool at all? I think I just proved it. <laughs> How many people do you know? That were in CPFA. Now those were all things that I belonged to. That I wanted to belong to. Things that as silly as they may have been. They mattered to me. And I wanted to be a part of them. And for 25 bucks a year. I could be a part of it. I belonged. And it felt good. Growing up in a small town out in western Washington, out on the Olympic Peninsula, it, it felt like a way for me to be connected to something that was bigger than myself and, and the, the, the small little town that I grew up in. What do you belong to? What did it require of you to belong to it? What do you find yourself longing to belong to? I believe that this was an important question for those people who wrote this big chunk of the Bible called the New Testament. One of those guys was a guy named Luke, who wrote not one, 
but two volumes as he sought to figure out who's in and who's out, who belongs, who doesn't. And most of all, does this include, does this include me? Does this include us? Luke is going to be our conversation partner tonight and throughout the quarter. So before we, we meet Luke a little bit more, let's take a moment to pray, shall we? Lord, we pray uh, tonight that you might, uh, again, meet us as we come to your word. Lord, that you would open our hearts, you would open our minds, our eyes, our ears to receive whatever it is that you have for us in this place tonight. For, uh, Lord, we want to know if you are true. We want to know if you belong, um, if, if we belong to you. So help us out uh, as we come to your text tonight. And it's in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, Luke. Luke, you got to know, is a little bit of an outsider. He is the only non-Jewish author of a New Testament book. And it, it was widely believed that in his first century context that he was a physician by trade that came to know Christ through kind of an intense curiosity and by talking to people who were close to, to Jesus, most notably a guy that wrote a huge chunk of the New Testament, this guy named Paul, the Apostle Paul. Uh, so that's a little bit of, of background on, on this guy, Luke. Now, many of you may know that at the beginning of the New Testament, there are four books called Gospels. They tell us the story of who Jesus is, from what turns out to be four different perspectives. Now, before we get into Luke, let me, let me show you a little bit more about what I'm talking about here. Uh, anybody here uh, a Husky football fan? Anybody been to a Husky football game before? Okay, awesome. Great. So, Husky Stadium, especially if you guys are sitting in the student section, if you look across, when games are on television, there are four primary camera angles in Husky Stadium. Okay, you have three that are affixed to the upper deck on the south side. And then there's usually a camera uh, on a cart that's down running back and forth on the track that consequently gets in front of my seats every game. And it, it can be a little bit frustrating. Okay, So what you have is you have these three Gospels, um, these three perspectives that are like these three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And then there's one down on the track. You can put the names up there, Nate. That... That's like John. That one on the track, it, the Gospel of John is, is getting this behind-the-scenes stuff. It's not necessarily the stuff going out on the, on the field, but it's the dialogues that happen on the sideline. Where Matthew, uh, Mark, and Luke have this, this bigger picture perspective. And when we look at the Gospel of Luke, I think we are looking at that camera that is dead center. This, this wide perspective of Jesus. This, this big story uh, that is from this probably the most objective point of view. Because you see, Luke was the only of the gospel writers that wasn't actually physically with Jesus. So in order for Luke to really find out who is this Jesus and, and what does he mean for all of us, he did some big time inquiry. And we're going to see that. So... Uh, Keep that in mind as we, as we engage Luke as a conversation partner, that the angle that we have as we engage this conversation is that, that kind of up high, center of the field, big picture view that Luke is trying to give us of who Jesus is. All right, so with that in mind, let's jump into the first few uh, verses of Luke's gospel. It says this, Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. Many have undertaken to draw up an account 
of the things that have been fulfilled among us. Just as they were handed down to us by those who were uh, eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. All right. Plain, pretty straightforward text here. It's kind of like a cover letter on a resume or an abstract on a, on a thesis. This is not a verse that you're going to see people getting tattooed on their shoulder or bicep or foot in the original Greek, all right? But this precedes what sets up those verses that you would want to get tattooed. And it's basically Luke saying, there is good reason to have these things tattooed. Because they mean something, and I took the time to find out. So let's, let's see what implications there are here in these first few verses. Okay, first, there is this implication that something has happened. Something has been fulfilled there in the, in the first verse. You see, there is a story that precedes the story that Luke is about to tell. A story that you can read about in the 39 books of the Old Testament. Okay, now, if you don't know what, if you've never read the Old Testament, I'm going to give you about a 20-second overview of what the Old Testament is about. Okay, ready, go. A good God created a good world, and some very good people made a very bad decision, which led to more bad decisions. Nonetheless, God entered into relationship with these people and actually delivered them. Now, these people kept turning away from God, but God never, ever, ever gave up on them and, in fact, promised them an ultimate fulfillment, that there would be this ultimate deliverance, this ultimate freedom, ultimate rescuing that he would bring, that he, God, would bring about. And it is the promise of that ultimate redemption, that ultimate freedom, this big, big invitation to life that Luke is saying has been fulfilled. But it not only has implications for this small group of people, it has implications for the entire world. Now, what I think makes Luke an interesting study for a group of 21st century college students is that Luke seems to be trying to get the story of Jesus outside of of being merely an urban legend. He's trying to say, look, I have taken the time and I have investigated. And this is not merely just another good story. Friends, this is real. And so he goes about this strategy as he reports to us here of saying, I have taken the time to go and find out everything that I can about this person by talking to the people he knew. And and spent a lot of time with. Okay, this is a good, good strategy, right? Okay, you guys do this all the time. Let's cut to the chase here. We do, heck, you might be doing this tonight, okay? We do this in dating, right? You you bounce into the inn. You know, after doing this for 10 or 11 years now, however long I've been doing it, I I know how this works. So you come in, you bounce, you bounce in, you're like, oh, oh, you know, that person's kind of interesting. So you go bouncing up to a friend and be like, hey, do you know who that person is over there? And if you get a lucky break, they know the person's name. And if it's an even luckier break, they're friends with that person on Facebook. 
So now you can go home with that friend or whip out your phone and totally creep around their Facebook page and be like, okay, sweet, you know. But you still don't have the, the guts to go up and talk to them on your own. So now you know their name. Maybe you creep a little bit on their Facebook page on your own, even though you don't have a bunch of access. But now you, now you know a little bit of, now you know a little bit of something about them. So you, you see them on campus one day and you begin to stake out their path to class. And by doing that, by doing that, you figure out that they're a psychology major with a minor in Spanish. You talk to more people about them, and then after, I don't know, this goes on for a month or two, you finally decide, maybe I should go ask the person or try to friend them on Facebook myself. Friends, be honest with yourself. You, too, are a creeper. It's not just everybody else. You're thinking about it, too. You're creepers, all of you. I talk to you. Now, to be totally honest... When it comes to figuring out and investigating who Jesus is, I want to invite you to be a creeper. Okay? That's exactly what Luke is. He's a righteous creeper. He reports that here at the top of the Gospel of Luke. I went and got eyewitness accounts of those who were servants of the word. Not just people who saw Jesus, but people who knew Jesus. And I got the true story. What follows in the next 24 chapters of Luke and the next 28 chapters of Acts, Luke wrote both of them. The Gospel of John separates them and how they show up in your Bible. But the same guy wrote both of those texts. That's a huge chunk of the New Testament. Be a righteous creeper. Follow Luke's lead as you go, hey, who is this Jesus? And then finally... Luke knows who is going to be reading and publishing this report. He names him here in what we just read. Theophilus. So essentially, we read this correspondence that was written in relationship. This is one guy's report to another guy who's going to read it. Now, both of these men, as I noted earlier, are Gentiles, meaning non-Jewish. So as it connects to the Old Testament story that I told you earlier, these two guys would both know themselves to be On the outside. So I imagine that we have these two guys, Luke and Theophilus, who are hearing these stories about Jesus and wondering, does this mean anything for us? If these stories that we are hearing about what happened in Galilee and in Jerusalem and throughout Palestine are true, does it mean something for us outsiders as well? Because I imagine that Luke and Theophilus would be two people that they, that would be well aware that they're not the prototypes of the people who typically get invited in. But ultimately what Luke reports is that what, what he finds is not the prototypical Greek or Roman God. What Luke reports is that he finds out about Jesus. He finds out that Jesus came to save the lost, including every type of marginalized person that traditional religion would have put outside the boundaries of savable or redeemable. Ultimately, what Luke reports is that what God has done in Jesus 
doesn't just matter for a small group of people. It matters for the entire world and it matters for them individually. This is a correspondence between two people, Luke and Theophilus, who are on the outside and who are discovering what it means to be invited in, who are discovering what it means to belong. And they are discovering that, yes, we do belong. And this does include us, but it's about so much more than us. The gospel is about you, but it's about so much more than you. My freshman year here at the University of Washington uh, was, was cruising along just fine uh, for the first month or so that I was here. I was dating this girl that I had really dated throughout high school, and I, I was fired up about this girl. Um, in my mind's eye, we, we were going to take this thing uh, the distance, and round about the middle of the quarter, she said, uh, no, we're not. And I was, I was, I was devastated. Uh, in, in total distress, I had a friend that, that, came, uh, that came to me, uh, you know, as I was kind of moping about and said, you know, why don't you come to the inn with me? And so somewhere around the, the beginning or middle of November of 1994, I came and I sat right up against that wall right over there. And as I came, uh, at first it was kind of once a month, I kept hearing this story of a Jesus that, that was inviting me in. And that once a month started to turn into twice a month. That twice a month started to turn into three times a month. Until finally I was discovering this person who was saying, more than you belong to yourself, you belong to me. You belong as a child of the king. And and as I began to understand that this was, in fact, true, I began to notice that it was going to require a a little bit of of a change in the way that I was thinking and in the way that I was living out my life. But I was discovering that I belonged just as much as those people that, in in my estimation, had already figured it out. I got to be with those people as well. What I discovered was that I didn't have to figure it out in order to belong. What Jesus did on the cross, what Luke discovered and tells to us is saying that because of that, you belong. I belong. So it was in my journey in college that I really discovered that I belonged to Jesus. And it didn't require me to fill out a form or send in my allowance. It was through the loving grace of God that was demonstrated in Jesus' life, death, and glorious resurrection. And the only thing it would cost me would be my life. So Luke writes to Theophilus and says, Dude, not only are we in... We are, we are in on something that is way bigger than us that will move us to tell everybody else about what it is that we have found. 
Theophilus. We belong to Jesus. So I invite you to join with us this quarter. As we discover all the more what it means to belong to God and to believe in Jesus. And what I hope that you can see is that in Jesus, in, in his life, in his death, in his resurrections, it has implications for you. It matters for you, not only for your spiritual life, but for your entire life. So I invite you to notice this week, where do you belong? Where do you want to belong? What makes something a home? And my hope is that as we join together week in and week out, we might get that picture of what it means to belong to God. Whether you have grown up knowing this or whether you are hearing this story for the first time. My hope is that as we discover how much more we belong, that we would be a community that would simply love more. That's discipleship. That's what following Jesus is all about. Loving more. Let's pray. Lord, we belong to you. And we want to understand more about what that means. So, uh, Lord, help us out tonight and through the rest of the quarter. Uh, Lord, help us to know the reality of, of your, uh, your sacrifice. A, a sacrifice made in love. And Lord, turn us into people who love deeply. Uh, who are marked uh, by our willingness and our ability to invite others. Help them know they belong. Help them know they are loved as we too are loved. Lord, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.